Hello and welcome to the This Week in Cleantech podcast. Each week, our host, David Hunt, speaks to a leading startup CEO, executive, thought leader, or industry insider in the cleantech sector. Focused on the clean energy and clean mobility transitions, each guest shares the highs and lows of their cleantech journey, their industry insights, and their vision and hopes for the future. This week, we return to smart mobility. I'm delighted to have Sampo Heisman, the CEO of Mars Global, join me the week after announcing a big investment from BP. Mars Global is the world's first mobility service provider, and Sampo has been referred to as the father of mobility as a service, uh, the first person to introduce the concept as a paradigm change in transport offerings. He shares some fascinating insights into the multimodal future of transport. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Sampo. Thanks for joining me on the This Week in Clean Tech podcast. Uh, in recent weeks, we've talked a lot about on the podcast about e-mobility and batteries and battery supply chains, but I'm really keen to explore further the broader smart mobility topic. And of course, recent big investments into Mars Global by BP uh, and your evolution as a business. But, but before we sort of dig into events recently, can we jump back to the genesis of the company and in fact, the origins of mobility as a service? So uh, perhaps you can tell me a little bit about what brought you to the point of founding Mars Global. Uh, do you want me to be honest about it? Honest <laughs> is always good. Always good. <laughs> coming coming uh, on a plane out of London uh, with a bit too many champagnes, to be honest. That was 2006. Many best ideas do come that way. It is. It is, and I, I blame I blame the airline for that. The uh, I, I I was a young executive doing uh, civil engineering, but mostly what I've been doing is is traffic information and. And uh, 2006, for a lot of engineers in transport, I was supposed to talk about what, what does tech do, what kind, of, what kind of new developments or even disruptions can we expect in our beloved transport sector. And yeah. coming out of London, uh, having a couple of champagnes, I thought that, hey, how about if we draw an analogy uh, from, from what happened to telecom in the 80s and, and what mm-hmm. will happen to transport? And maybe it was the champagne or maybe whatever it was, but it started making sense. In the 80s, uh, the business of, of uh, telecom was completely different. It wasn't really a sexy field or anything, just mm-hmm. plugging phones and, and connecting that, that way. No real development, nothing really, uh, nothing really going on. And then it was disrupted. Nobody actually in the 80s had their own personal mobile operators. Now we all do, even the kids have. And, yeah. and when it changed, it internationalized, it got into a lot of R&D, all kinds of things. And it, it really was a huge phenomenon. And that got me thinking that actually the whole transport is also about connecting people, isn't it? We just mm-hmm. do it physically. So what if structures changed like that? And, and, and that really that really bugged me. And, and I, I, I held that speech not so hungover. And of course, everybody thought that he's finally lost it. But the, the, the idea from 2006 really stuck with me. And I suppose, get me asking this, this sort of the, the elephant in the room that everybody kind of circles around, but really doesn't dare to ask the, the, the real question. And that's, to me, as an individual, what would it really take for me to give up my car? Not, yep. not, not, not sustainability system benefits, but for me, for me, in, in my life, I, and I want to feel my freedom I want mm-hmm. to be able to go to places, and and what would someone have to give me for that? And and I've keep I, I've been asking this question in in over two thousand events for about fifteen years now, 
And funny enough, the same answer as I did a long time ago for myself. And, and being a transport engineer, I know it's silly to own a car. Um, but, but still, I had it. And, yeah. and ev everyone in the world, they keep on giving the same answer. And it tends to be, if someone could promise. If someone could promise, and then what, what is it? And it boils down to a couple of things. I need to feel, be certain that I can go anywhere, anytime on a whim. If yep. somebody promises me that, well, okay, that's good. That's good enough for me. So, yeah, that's sort of the, 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 the history be behind the concept. Of course, hundreds and or thousands of people who've contributed the whole concept. And it's, 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 it's amazing actually to see that a small guy from engineer from Finland can, can uh, be at the, at the birth of, of a phenomena or, or even a movement that it is nowadays. And, and, I can I can assure you that there hasn't been an evil conspiracy or huge <laughs> lobbying, but it, it kind of makes me want to believe in the world again yep. because no big powers have been behind this mobility as a service concept, no no lobby power, nothing like that, and still it's it's gone around to be become a the trend that everybody goes after now. Even businesses are pushing it, and just yep. by by you know in in Finland. The authorities in the ministry so yes that's what's going to happen that's going to start pushing it kind of makes me want to believe in the good in the world again because these things can actually happen yeah i think so many disruptions are as you say organic rather than forced uh, and people react to or businesses react to those things rather than instigating them so from from 2006 of course is a long 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 time ago in in, in the clean tech world and in, in the changes of mobility um mass global uh, was created i believe in 2015 what were you doing prior to that point and and what made you take the leap into founding the business well, my background is, is in actual civil engineering, taking care of winter road maintenance and building roads and all of this. And after that, uh, being in, in some startups doing traffic information business and, and, and okay. similar ones. And then after, uh, after some years of, of really pushing that, hey, this, this could be the future at some point when the tech is ready. 2011, actually, it became sort of the, it, it became the, the, the core of Finnish transport policy. And, and for me, that was also a point where I thought I was running a nice, nice startup that was going well. And I thought, okay, uh, my chance of probably maybe making a change into the world. So uh, mm -hmm. I was, I was actually heading a nonprofit called ITS Finland from, um, from 2011 to, to that 2015 or 16, if I remember, maybe years, yeah. maybe, maybe a bit wrong in that one, maybe 2012 to 2015, something like that. Uh, and really seeing, hey, within the ecosystem, can we can we really make a big big difference? And and by the mm -hmm. time in 2015, when the company was company was uh, founded, when I when I founded this one, it started to be ready that within the ecosystem. And th this is where actually there's a big thing that everybody needs to understand. There's there is no mass that one company can do. No chance. Yeah. You need a, a whole ecosystem and everybody to take the leap of faith at the same time, and that's hard. And by that time, there was enough of those to say, okay, this, this sounds something, let's go for it. We, we're, we're there to enable. But then the, the missing part was, was still not there. Someone to go after the end user, to really package all of these great services we have and make them, make them into that service promise. And, and since uh, there was sort of a, a hole in the whole ecosystem, then that meant, meant that had to build the, 
had to build build a company, and strangely yeah. enough, quite a number of of players, including Transdev, for example, in the in the early parts, wanted to participate in this. It's been quite a ride ever since. Yeah, no, absolutely, I'm quite sure of that. And and, and one of the things you picked on there is interesting. You talked about policy, and I want to talk about Helsinki because on one of the previous podcasts, one of our clients, EV Box, talking to the CEO Christoph Veronugo around the fact that we're in Amsterdam at a time where local policy was to enable EV charging infrastructure to be rolled out. So there's there are broader themes, of course, but just the fact that they were where they were and there were some local policies gave them the head start really to do things which couldn't be done elsewhere, which they then took on to, to do global things. What's the uh, uh, sort of scenario in Helsinki and, and how useful was being there to, to the start of the journey? Of course, a lot of the whole concept development itself was done in in a couple of instances. In in Finland, it was the uh, the, the Ministry of Transport and and Communications who kind of laid out the work. It's 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 lucky just that they are in the same ministry with communications, which means that the the guys okay. who who wrote the laws of GSM back back long time ago for telecom. Mm-hmm. And they, they really, it didn't take them long to understand, okay, a similar disruption is happening here. If we're the first movers, that might actually benefit our country. Secondly, also Helsinki really going after the policy of saying, okay, we're not going to ban cars. We're not going to go that route. Uh, it's okay to have them. But we want to make sure that you can live a perfectly good life without being forced to own one. We want to make sure right. that you have options for that. So we're going to lead this kind of policy. So definitely this helped. Um, I remember that was maybe 2014, a big American VC said it really nicely that, you know, the disruptions in society or issues that we, 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 we can solve through technology that one company can solve, they're all done. There is nothing out there anymore. Mm-hmm. So this, this means that these um, sort of big things that we now need to solve, they're not to be solved by any one company alone. And that... And this is where I lose my credibility as a startup CEO. That really demands uh, political leadership. Yeah. And, and it is true. I mean, there is absolutely no way that anyone would have invested in, in Helsinki, which is probably not the, not the biggest city in the world, not the, mm-hmm. the, the market that everybody would want to go for, had it not been for strong and consistent policy in, in, in creating mass, but even more so creating that in an open competitive environment, which is kind of strange that in a small market, you still say that, okay, yes, it's a small market. It doesn't even exist, but we still want to make it open and competitive, which is outstanding. And they, they created the yeah. framework so that it's easier then to invest. And then of course you can build upon that. It is, it's becoming more and more important. If you figure out what's still out there, that's not really been disrupted. And mm. out of out of people's consumption, well, it's living. It's still structures are pretty much the same. That takes away second largest consumption is transport. Then it's food, healthcare, energy, and surprise, surprise, it's these five dinosaurs that are, that are yet to be broke, uh, disrupted. But that that really does need a bit of uh, clear policy making. And I also, sure. I would say that the. The companies that, that have appetite for investment, they're looking for places where the game rules are set. Mm. Yep. Yeah. 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 And that's interesting. I think that's one of the concepts that comes up often. And I talk about with, we have a mutual contact in Lucas Neckerman, of course, the, around the sort of the, the importance of cities and municipalities in, in creating policies which drive 
business opportunities and drive national agendas. It's like city first, and that rolls out into international and international agendas to some extent. Exactly, but but sometimes those because I I also and why I I want to praise those that are that, that have taken sort of this this role. There's Helsinki, there's Antwerp, there's Birmingham, there's Lisbon there, that are that are really driving this these kinds of things. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. I've been on the authority side myself, and if you look at, the, especially in transport, what the what the transport authorities are given as tools to solve issues, it tends to be that okay, you make a plan, you choose the winner, you put an RFP, you put a tender out, and and you choose the winner, and then you you put some roads in there because that's how their system is built. It takes a yeah, lot of it yeah. takes a lot of courage to go out of your toolbox and say, look, guys. We want to solve these issues with a with a sort of modern ways, because there isn't there aren't that you have to create the whole toolkits yourself. So, it's uh, I have to take my hat off for for those people that 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 are out there and, and can do it that way. Okay, okay, no fair points. I think you touched on something that I would like to return to, and that's the importance of collaboration and indeed convergence of technologies. But before we move on to that, can you just tell us a little bit more about your the, the company that the that Mars Global? What is your offering? Which cities are you present in? What is the the solution that you have for people that's available right now? So Mars Global is the is the company that that is the world's first actual mobility operator doing doing mobility as a service. the The service name is called WIM. Uh, it, it actually tells what people what people love about their mobility and what they love about their cars. It's it's not to fight it. We we need to be good for that. They love their whims. Yeah. So we we started in 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 Helsinki. Uh, started sales in big big way uh, 2017, offering pretty much all modes of transportation uh, in 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 a pay as you go mode, so that you can no commitments, but you have access to everything within your city. Sort of, we, you could call it the skeleton key to your city and and surroundings, but also mm-hmm. nice and neat subscriptions, which more and more are are what people desire. With Netflixes and Spotify's around, you just say, okay, could I could I just have a monthly fixed rate and somebody fixes all my mobility? That's kind of yep. a dream for everyone. If I say, look. I could have that for you. You don't need to worry about anything. You paid up. You can go to whatever you want, and and people really, really get that. So we started that 2017 after after wanting to prove that it's actually doable to put all these modes into into one app. It's it's not like it was it was clear. Then then mm-hmm. on the next stages, we wanted to see is this just a Helsinki thing or can we do it somewhere else? And we've been able to do it in a couple of places. Just as the last one we we launched a couple of weeks ago in Vienna, which is it's a okay. It's an it's an amazing place actually for mass so much supply over there that we can really start competing competing with with car ownership in 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 that market. Uh, and and next we want to we want to get closer to really showing that hey can can we make a difference? You always have to be careful with big disruptions, especially with such a huge phenomena like cars. Is mm-hmm. not, not to promise that you know overnight. Yes, the cities will be beautiful, and nobody exactly. will buy their yeah. cars as of yesterday. It's not going to happen. But what we can do is start giving people viable alternative, viable choices. That hey, here's a good choice for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's sometimes uh, something that comes up. If there isn't the perfect solution or isn't available right this second, it's it's written off because this, the the status quo isn't what the, the easier option. But these things, even in disruptions, don't happen literally overnight. Oh. No, no. It is all about getting getting to the point that people can feel certain. They that why the 
why the car is the what do you call it in English? Pink elephant in the room, or how is it, how is it called? But it's the it's the it's uh, anyways it's it's the thing that nobody dares to actually uh, ask is is there some, is there yeah. something as desirable as owning a car as having your own car, and mm -hmm. and we think it is it is quite doable, and we know for a fact actually now that there is, but it's it's not an easy route to take because what people are not willing to compromise is their freedom. This is such a profound. Uh, sentiment we have. I'll take an yeah. example of Tokyo. Tokyo is a great place for, for mobility as a service. Um, people, if you want to buy a car, you have to have a dedicated parking space. And in Tokyo, you can you can guess how much that costs. It's not going <laughs> yeah. to have that. So you have that parking space and you have a, an expensive car. Or out of those cars, and there are millions of them, over 50% of them are driven less than once a week. So how I would think of this is people tend to have a sort of a smile and laugh. Oh, how silly is that? But that, that's actually not how we should think about it. Same applies yeah. to London and many of the others. We just have to understand that people value their freedom that much. And the freedom is not your everyday these things. It's, it's exactly that weekend when you want to go golfing, you want to go to seashore, and, and you want to feel that it's I could do it. And, yep. and for that freedom insurance, we're willing to pay apparently quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's interesting, and uh, as you say, I think for quite some time the actual um, uh, sort of the economics of owning a vehicle in, in most places, if not all, make no sense. But it's as you say, people will pay for the, the freedom and the access, and it's about creating what different ways of, of doing that, which clearly you're, you're doing. Uh, I want to talk more about the concept and the technology, but again, I'm also always keen to listen to, you know, startup stories. So, as an entrepreneur and a company founder, what have been the biggest challenges that you've experienced since founding Mars Global? Oh, which of the Hundreds should I pick first? <laughs> <laughs> the biggest headaches, yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose this uh, from from beginning on, it, it, we knew that this is not going to be easy. Uh, many startups have the luxury of, you know, you create your, your great developer team and then, then you make the tech happen and there you go. You have, let's say you have an app and that's it. Well, that's the easy part for us. The hardest part is that since we have different pieces that if they are physical and they don't really fit together. If you take mm -hmm. taxis, you take ride shares, you take public transport, you take uh, car rentals, you take scooter shares and you take trains and these and these and these things. And you need to put them in a neat package and they, so that they function conveniently and, and they appear like one great joint service to the end user. Yeah. you're going to have a hard time, especially when you don't have, you're not on top of that ecosystem. So trying, finding a way where uh, coming from nothing, and of course, since we, we, you always start from scratch in any given area, you mm -hmm. excite your partners to say, hey, how about we do this? How about we work together? And these are eternal enemies that you need to get working together. Um, it's it's that part that's by far the hardest. How do you get the ecosystem moving so that that out of these, like someone said it nicely, you have this, you ha you have a puzzle, but the pieces don't really fit. And our job is to iron out all those differences. Right. So uh, I would say that that has been that has been the the sort of learning how to collaborate 
for, for us and for the whole ecosystem, by far the hardest part. Of course, once it seems now that the world's moving more and more players understand, hey, this is actually a good thing. It brings more, yeah. more value. It just drives sustainability goals and so on. So this is a, this works. Then the second thing, uh, what's really hard is, is building a growing organization. It's, 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 it's classic and everybody, of course, and I talk to a lot of them and I've had this myself before. And you say, well, you know, once you get over that 30, 50 people, uh, mm -hmm. then, then you're no longer the startup where everybody's a friend and we do these, you need to have structures and then yep. finding sort of the development of the company when the ecosystem, the markets are evolving. And at the same time, you need to evolve your company from this phase to the next phase is, it's not easy and sometimes even a bit painful. Sure. I think those are exactly all of the, the, you know, juggling plates is a bit of a cliche, but that's exactly the role of a, of a founder and a, and a CEO. And on the podcast, I speak to many CEOs and founders um, where talent, maintaining company culture and fundraising are some of the, the, the major factors which come up time and time again. Um, you recently had a fundraising round and with BPS, the lead investor. Um, but can you share some of your broader tips and experiences on fundraising as a startup uh, founder? And, and then obviously perhaps share a little bit about this most recent round. We've been quite fortunate from beginning on since the concept is, is quite on, uh, on everybody's lips. Everybody wants to, wants to go for it and we're the first mover. So we've, we, we've had exposure. So that helps at least getting started. And I, I know I've been in startups where getting an appointment is like, yay, we got there. We've yeah. been fortunate to, to have those, uh, from, from start. What I, what I would say as an advice to, to anyone going out there, I know it's hard and I, I fail every day myself, but when you think of your business, don't think about fundraising. Think of the, the sort of best things you could do and, and believe in all that. And, and as cliche as it may sound, the money will follow. If it is, if it is a good idea, if, if things are there, you know what you're doing, you're, you have a strong enough proposal, you'll find the money. Oftentimes okay. it's so easy to go run after whatever someone who's investing said to you, and then you start losing your own vision. Then you right. start going this way and that way. And apparently, and then, and, and pretty soon you're, you're going in 10 different ways and, and then you don't have a vision anymore. And that means then for investors, it means you have less to sell. Yeah, I think that's a difficult journey. As you say, it's very tempting when there's money on the table to, 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 to walk away from that or to question whether that should be taken. But if it does dilute your core reason detra, then, then, then as you say, then you, you are on a, a downward spiral of, uh, of becoming less appealing for investors. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a hard juggle because of course, if you're stubborn and you just say nobody understands, you might end up being the, being that that's what's sort of for me also as with this concept is kind of two things either it's a successful thing or i become the village idiot so that's the <laughs> that's the sort of dualism of of founding a startup because yeah and and i and i also know many extremely good startups and and really smart people fail and and to me they're not village idiots they're just as much heroes as as those who had success because there's so many elements and luck is not not the least of them 
Yeah, I think the phrase standing on the shoulders of giants is one I always think about because, um, you know, I've, I've worked in successful businesses and I've had failed businesses and it's, uh, it's those uh, experiences which personally drive you on, but also other people's experiences that you can leverage and, and, and sort of uh, uh, move forward from. It's exactly. often not the pioneers that, that, that are successful when, uh, when, when, when the sort of counting's done at the end of the day. And maybe if you wanted to know about this round and how, how the company structured, uh, We've done it a bit differently against few, quite many advisors. So from beginning on, because I knew that this is a, it, it's a huge opportunity, hard to deny. Second largest consumption for people is being disrupted, and if we can be <coughs> operator on top of that market, it's 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 humongous, up to up to about ten trillion uh, a year, which is amazing. And also for sustainability, we have good chances of really, really making the world a better place. So. Hard to deny huge chances. At the same time, we knew that this is not something that, that we alone can do. And, and we need a lot of broad shoulders. So how, how do you get into that one? And without becoming a daughter of one of those giants, because that's also virtually impossible in an ecosystem thing. Uh, and and we, we, from beginning on, we went with strategic investors, starting from the Transdevs and, and many others. And, and then Toyota Financial Services, Denso's, IOEs, Mitsubishi, uh, Mitsui, who's a real estate developer, and now BP. Yeah. The idea is that let, let's have plenty of them. Those that are really keen on, on, you know, with the same vision setting that, okay, this is what, 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 what they want to also see. And, and what, what we want to have is both ways learning. It's not an easy formula, but nothing that drives on an ecosystem is. So we wanted to have strategic investors where we can mutually learn. I mean, we can teach them them also something about how, how this is moving, because as an incumbent, you might be sort of stuck with your big business. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, we're not that arrogant that we think that... Uh, Sometimes I, I, you see that in, and sometimes, you know, within us as well in startups, you get this kind of a feeling that, oh, these old guys know nothing and we know everything best, but it, it doesn't, it's not that way. There's a lot of good stuff that we can learn from these giants to, to, to get us to the next stages. They've seen a lot. They've, they, they were small, all of them, one, one at one time yeah. and, and they're at this. So it is to try to find a sort of a nice mix in this. And, and for that, uh, having BB sort of complement the, we kind of have an ecosystem picture and we want to have from all parts uh, yeah. knowledge to be able to really be strong. Okay, that makes sense. And again, looking at institutional or, or, or corporate investors rather than VCs, I mean, there are merits, of course, to each round or, or type of funding, but uh, often it's not just the money, it's the opening the doors, it's the access to products and solutions, which the, the bigger companies can bring as well as the money. Yeah, yeah. And this is what we thought, because we thought that it, it, it takes so much that, that have a bit of help here and there does make sense. And it, it's, it's not easy. In, in all honesty, to, to cooperate with huge players. Uh, but at the same time, once you get it working, it has a lot of benefits, a lot of potential. Not to say yeah. that we wouldn't go for VC at some stage, but at this time of the whole, we're the first in the world in a huge, huge business, huge market. It, it's made all the sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You you wrote a blog just after the, the, the or just in the last few days, which I'll share on the episode page about the ethics and sustainability of investments, particularly from oil majors and utilities, because it's an interesting thing. I mean, three of our Hyperion clients recently uh, and previous podcast uh, guests, Evie Box, Sonnen and Lime Jump, have been actually fully acquired by Angie and, and Shell, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, BP have made some very important at both acquisitions and investments. So, uh, as I say, I'll share that blog, but can you just now tell us a few of your thoughts around the sort of M&A and investment from, from oil companies and, and how that fits and how you feel comfortable with a, a, you know, a clean tech solutions company taking that money? Well, in, in many ways, I think of it this way, that the world needs to change in a big way. And if, if the pl- big players are not changing as well, uh, it'll take longer. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there there's a lot of capacity and, and a lot of potential for them. It would feel kind of strange for me to say that, okay, since you guys have have all kinds of things and mistakes in the past and all of this, so we won't accept you in our circle. What would mm-hmm. happen with that one? Then then we'd have sort of two competing worlds and not even give an opportunity to, to really start changing. With, yeah. with BP, we've this didn't happen overnight. We've been in discussions for a long time, and and at least at least what I what I hear and what I see from from that is that okay, they've got a lot of good stuff that we can also utilize that actually drives sustainability. And mm-hmm. I'm starting to see it's not just the, the the energy companies of the world; it's also the automotives. I mean, yep. for for a normal person, and then you know, looking at it from past, it's easy to say, no, no, they're they're all black, and that's just things are bad. But but they also, and and at least how I how I perceived it in the last last years, maybe five years, they've seen that okay, uh, the business risk for not really pushing sustainability goals is too for the discontinuation of our business is too high we need to really Mm -hmm. improve on this in our main business but also shift the focus of the business towards more sustainable ones because that's that's where you will drive the profits of the future so i i'd rather invite them having said that we've had this structure uh, for a long time and at least for now this is this has been the best way is that we're not a daughter of any. We have our vision, we have our goals, and these investors have bought into those visions, those goals, and we are free to drive them. So uh, I, I have, I wanted to write a blog because I do understand that it's all. It, this can be controversial, but but personally, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm only in in positive with this one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I first got involved in clean tech 2006, 2007, and at the time it was very us versus them and the very derogatory around all things uh, oil and, and and gas. And, you know, there were still, of course, massive issues with these organizations, but you, I think you touched on it. You, you don't change the world um, as a startup. You need um, these big sorts of institutions as long as they're playing genuinely um, uh, to, to make things happen. And, and I know that both with, well, with Evie Box and with Zonan and with Lime Jump, they've, they've all experienced very positively working with these uh, large organizations. Yeah. Not that it's without its challenges, as you say, but it's uh, it's been positive overall. Of course. And and, and let's face it also with, with sometimes for us also in, in mobility as a service, everybody says that, okay, if you don't immediately get everybody out of their cars and don't allow 
any usage of cars, then then you're not doing things for sustainability. Exactly. But but yeah. come on, there's the there's the other end. There's the individuals, and and we need to give them good options of feeling feeling convenient, feeling individual, feeling all this, and at the same time work on sustainability goals. Those both have to be matched. So. Yeah. And, and the same applies in that is there that not everything goes great in the first day, but if the direction is good and if, if we can speed up where we're going, then, then we're doing something good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to return to something we started with, uh, and that's around disruption. And, and when real and significant disruption occurs, it's usually the convergence of technologies and business models that allows that disruption. So what do you see as the key areas of convergence and technology that, that are enabling this smart mobility revolution at the moment? Well, coming from 2006, I realized that the, the, the sort of dream I would have had is, is not even doable. And, and the reason is, if you want to do an internet disruption in, in transport, first, uh, the internet has to be in transport. So uh, the, the first big enabler that kind of started this is, is a robust mobile internet. And, mm -hmm. and secondly, that we have an interface that, that we can use to actually make these things happen. So the, the, the smartphone revolution actually is a big enabler for for getting getting on with this because the convenience that compares with car ownership was not even close to there uh, before yeah. this there's a second second thing that's sort of happening in the background which is the the, the world of apis uh, that that we have we have interfaces to different services that yeah. means that you can actually integrate them in in 2010 when i thought that could i do this and and i i had a look at look at the systems of different public transport and taxis and car shares and or car share wasn't really back but car rental and thought that this will be so costly it'll take at least 20 years to start a project like that and cost gazillions so it, it doesn't make sense but the, but this technology has improved so much that it, it isn't anymore a huge thing to combine all of these with payment into yeah. in, into the app. But then then of course um, the the rise of Ubers and car shares and scooter shares and bike shares and such, which actually are the missing piece because it's in all honesty still if if I compare with with a car and the individualism of a car making mobility as a service happen from from just the pieces of of public transport taxi and and some car rentals is not really good enough so that the supply mm -hmm. has been growing enormously it really gives people the option of saying okay i'm covered for all my trips and if i'm that then i feel comfortable not having that parking space and then the unused asset over there all the time so yeah. I, I would say technically those at the same time, of course, the people have changed in over the over the decade, more than a decade. The, the young ones have not had the dream of owning a car anymore. And, sure. and we're still kind of in the system. We're still held a bit hostage by the I get to say 40 plus men. I would like to say 50 mm -hmm. plus men. But since I'm 40 plus and I get to so I get to use that. So it, it's <laughs> us who hold the rest of the world hostage with our thinking. Whether I'm in UK, US, Finland, Sweden, Australia, the after speech I give about, hey, people, would you like to have your mobility just like you buy your mobile subscription, everything embedded there, you don't need to worry about everything. And they say, yeah, that might be it. But then they come after me uh, over a cocktail and they say, well, uh, 
we British, we Finns, we Swedes, maybe you there like it, but we love, we love to own our cars. You know, this is, this is such a fundamental thing that we just love to. So there's, there's, it's not going to sell for the end user. And that's normally always a 50 plus guy who says that. And then yeah, and almost every single time there's someone below 30 that comes to me and said, I don't recognize myself at all from that. I, I hmm. tried to postpone buying my car. I, I, I'd love to get rid of it. And actually, we did a study on this. There's roughly about 70 million cars in EU area that are waiting to be replaced if they get a service. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm of that age. I'm just about to turn 50. And when I was 17, the first thing I wanted to do was to, to get the driver's license and get the car. I have a 19-year-old daughter. She has no interest whatsoever in, in owning a vehicle um, and, and, and others the same. And I think the two things around, actually, there's a little bit around generational, um, but I think also around cities. It's just becoming so difficult to navigate cities in a car and in the increase of solutions as an alternative that uh, I don't know many cities now where it makes any sense to, to, to own a vehicle. But still, if you look at the actual decision making and everything, we'll, we're still stuck with the paradigm that, yeah, well, let's make sure that the system covers that from any door to door, you can get in with a car. All of these are nice, but they're kind of on the sideline. Let's make sure that cars first and then we when do we do, then we do. And I, I think it, it has to do with the uh, with the thing of not having a grand vision. I mean, uh, if you trace back the success of car, it, it traces back to, I think it was year 32, uh, the world exhibition in New York, where you made this Futurama of mm -hmm. a beautiful, you know, beautiful city where you have housing here, factory industry here and so on, and car to connect it all. And these beautiful freeways where you can, you know, go to places and so on. And, and the world, what we were sold with this freedom, it, it became the, the go to the moon for the whole world. We still mm -hmm. live, live that freedom thing, but it was, it was a bit too much. It wasn't with everyone. We can't have that because the system gets stuck. Now, yeah. what, what's lacking in this world tends to be sort of a vision, the Futurama 2.0 for a city that, hey, this is how you can hold on to that, that freedom. It's a beautiful city, but it doesn't need to be car only. And, and I, I suppose nobody's come up with a grand enough vision. So that leads on to an interesting point uh, and perhaps a bit of a crystal ball time, Sampo. So what, what does Cities Futurama 2.0 look like for you? What, what's your vision for, say, the next five or ten years in, uh, in smart mobility in cities? Well, five to ten years, um, if we all believe that there's a big disruption in, in mobility, and I would say that it would be a bit naive to, to think that, no, 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 transport will not be changed. Then we need to look look mm -hmm. that if um, if the demand, so how people consume their transportation, if that really fundamentally changed, there is a paradigm change. It will definitely mean that the, the skeleton of the cities, which is the transport network, it will have to be have to be rethought again. Um, year yeah. thirty two, there was something that really changed the world for good, or well, good for good for or for worse. It was called Futurama. It kind of showed the vision of the cities, you know, with, uh, <clears throat> with industry here, recreation here, housing here, and car to connect it all. And, and that mm -hmm. really was an inspiring vision because it gave people the idea of freedom. Of course, it came at a cost, but we were willing to take that cost. Now, if, if we do believe that there is a fundamental change in this, uh, that the, 
and in, in all honesty, that means that the car ownership will not be the prevailing model, then it definitely, definitely no. will have an impact on the cities. Uh, and I haven't seen too much of a grand vision of that, that uh, Futurama 2.0. Personally, I think that coming from transport, being a transport engineer myself, we always talk about corridors and the world of, of mm-hmm. single occupancy vehicles. That's exactly what, what's needed. You need corridors because you need a lot of corridors to connect everything. In, in this new yeah. type of world, uh, cities will most likely be hub-based. And, and that's a fundamental change. It's like, okay, yeah, well, we've got hubs. We, uh, in London, hubs would be the tube station probably. But then, then we go back mm-hmm. to the whole individual freedom, which means that this has to be something that you like. And uh, whether you want it or not, as part of this hub-based uh, city logic, the, you need to do a bit of an interchange, change between different transport modes. And that will not happen uh, if people do not love it. And how would they love it? That means that they have to love those hubs, which means that one of the most important parts for for city, for urban planning, is that the, 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 the time you spend in that hub will become time, uh, your time instead of wasted time. And if you look at the tube stations in, in London today, do you feel that the time spent over there in those, uh, in those hubs, meaning the tube stations, that that's the best day, best time of your day. Sure. So that, that actually leads us to a, a, a new thing. Many think that the digitalization and the, and the big disruption in transport, that it means that yes, we can save a lot in the, in the in the construction costs or in uh, in in building less roads and so on, and eventually mm-hmm. yes, but it does mean that we need sort of a new deal again, something something to really refurbish the whole logic, and that's not going to come easy. It will need quite a lot of quite a lot of uh, new construction. Yeah, I think that's perhaps an interesting point that we, we look at examples in certain cities where we're looking to sort of reclaim the streets for uh, pedestrian access and for whether that's kick scooters or bikes or, 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 or sort of uh, non-car um, traffic. And that all looks quite cool and uh, uh, and achievable. But, um, yeah, as you said, there's a big infrastructure issue to transport tens of thousands, if not millions of people around a city with uh, with a new way of thinking and a, a, a new um I should say these hubs or transportation methodologies. It's um, there's a lot to be done, and sadly, you can't really even see the effects. Like with the vision Futurama back in the days, you can't really see the big influence until you make a systematic change. And this is what I don't see too much. We we change uh, one lane here, claim back this street here mm-hmm. and this street there. The problem of that is what people really need is assurance of freedom. And, and that means that it's not good enough that you have this part covered because how people consider their mobility is they think that, okay, am I covered for all these addresses? It's not this about this one A to B. It's about all the A's and all the B's. And until you cover for a person all the A's and all the B's, you're not really in that space. What's good about the car is that it, it's guaranteed and it's even legally guaranteed that you have a road with a car to every single address that you can ever think of. Yeah. You can go there with a car. With every other mode or even sort of combination of roads, you have, well, 
parts of your parts of your trips, parts of your journeys will be covered, or some of them completely, but not all of them. And and that's not the freedom we deserve. We really deserve a, a systematic approach that yes, I can go anywhere conveniently without too much trouble. And it's this kind of complete vision that I that I'm sort of after. Uh, before we can really make a huge change. Okay, so the future clearly, if we touched on before, is very much multimodal uh, and different solutions via these hubs or, or solutions, but you still believe that the vehicle or the car um, is uh, central to that, although hopefully, obviously, in a different guise with change of, you know, lack of ownership um, and hopefully multi, um, uh, sort of uh, reduced traffic by better use of utilization of the vehicles that are out there. Uh, at what point do you think autonomous vehicles will really be seen on the streets? Well, that's a good question, and and gladly I'm uh, I'm interviewed quite a lot, so I give a different year every time. So I'll be right for <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I think that the technology starts to be there. Now it's more or less the acceptance of when when do we feel comfortable that they are they are going around the biggest biggest change we, we actually do have already automated vehicles on the roads but they just are uh, observed by a person within the car yeah. or they, they do drive a lot with them themselves the biggest change in the whole system happens when a car can can uh, drop you off and go pick up another one on its own. Yeah. Because that, that's when the ownership model really dies. It, it just simply doesn't start making sense anymore at that point. But that's a vital, vital part for, uh, that's a vital, vital, uh, time also for, for all the cities because at that time, the, uh, it would feel comfortable that, okay, hey, I'll, I'll get a service that a car picks me up with two, two, two minutes notice when I just push a button and takes me all the way and, and that, that car is no longer a car. It can be my office. It can be my gym. It can be my living room, my mm -hmm. pub, wh whichever one of these. And that sounds like a bright, beautiful future. Just with a bit of a problem, if that happens, we have double the same traffic as we have now with the same amount of people mm -hmm. in the cities. And that doesn't really sound like a great city anymore. So uh, it will be that point is a turning point, whether those cars will take you into those hubs and into something something more a bit productive, uh, but it's it's not. This is not an engineer's dream because, of course, if if it was only for the engineers, we we wouldn't have cars. We'd only have public transport because it's much more effective. Yeah. So it is. Can we find uh, make this environment such that people actually like to do it that way? It it is, and this this is the hardest part. This has to be aspirational. And, and that's where sort of we have this clash all the time with engineering of the city. And I don't know if you knew that the transport engineers actually came from wastewater and sewage. Right. And, and, and we kind of think of those things into the pipelines mm -hmm. like that. And, and then we wonder why people don't behave like, <laughs> like good, good, decent, decent <laughs> wastewater. And, and this, this has to be a combination where the infrastructure is appealing and, and also the services are appealing so that people do not feel that, that, okay, getting that bot from door to door is a better option for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a huge, huge issue in the cities in the next decades. When will that be? I would say within five to 10 years, it starts to be quite relevant. And since, and this is a bit of a chicken and egg thing. Since the infrastructure is not hub based at the moment, so different kinds of futures are not there. So, sure. 
it is something that we should be preparing for now because also the infrastructure uh, decisions that are made in the cities, they affect 20 to 50 years. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's another issue around regionality because I've just fortunately come back from some time in, in Barcelona and, and in Austin, Texas, and it was the weather was good and, and the, it was quite easy to use a cycle on a couple of occasions, a kick scooter, do some walking, grab an Uber. Um, was quite straightforward. But then I flew back into London, which was cold and wet and rainy. Um, uh, and the same appeal didn't happen. Um, uh, or, or the same, um, yeah, the motivations weren't there to, uh, to to do things differently other than jump a tube and, and, and drive somewhere. So, but you've obviously started in Helsinki, which isn't known for its, uh, its sunny climate. Um, so it, it, do you see again um, uh, and ease in uh, based on certain regions, not just in terms of policy, which is important, of course, but just in terms of weather and geography. Um, the the car ownership is actually that's why it's a great model because it's it's extremely scalable to any weather you're in your own pod, and and that's why it's also kind of as a, as a user experience as as desirability it's it's hard to beat but people are strange that way um i just got pictures from my wife it is pretty cold here and yes it's raining mm -hmm. but for example my wife biked to work uh eight kilometers this day like she does every day why she does it is because the infrastructure has improved such that there's no that she can do it in a in a beautiful environment without collision to to cars and such yeah. all the time so she's okay with the cold weather with the rain and all of this we, we're kind of used to this here uh so she, she she just decides that instead of instead of the cars because it's also exercise and so on mm -hmm. of course not every, not everyone will do it and you need to have options and this is also why the multimodalism is is so important and let's remember the car will not disappear out of this picture so when it's cold and rainy uh in in london in helsinki and gladly it's not every day mm -hmm. uh then what you can do is say hey don't worry we'll get you a nice car we'll get you a taxi we'll make sure you're not going to be wet we have all these options mm -hmm. but let us worry about how to juggle between these different things one of the one of the important things is because you have to have a combination that it works for the city and system say sustainability but it also works for the individual and the business yeah. is that we can do all this we can give you services we can even do give you unlimited taxi rides with the cost of what the car ownership actually now does yeah. so that that's why i'm thinking about this because you will not have a separate uh, cost for people because they're already spending so much in their mobility. So the kind of only way to make a big change in this is you have to liberate that that money that lies with the car. Mm -hmm. So it has nothing to do with being against the car or anything. But at the same time, we have to remember that the only way of keeping that price point as high as people are willing to pay now for their cars you have to be able to give them even more beautiful car. Yeah, yeah. Um, because still everything else there is a bit of a utility. So the selling point will have to be okay. Uh, well, if you give up your car ownership, when you do drive, you drive with a better one. There's so much to, to, to be done. I really appreciate sharing some of your thoughts uh, around the future of mobility. And, and it's been great to see uh, your company must global as, as, as part of that and, and continually seeking investment. And that's the really challenging thing is to see the, the, the futures. And I just wanted to close out on those challenges. We touched on them a little bit earlier on in the conversation around it's tough being a, a, an entrepreneur. It's tough being in a world where you don't know what the future looks like and you're trying to create it on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Um, what is it that drives you or keeps you motivated or inspires you day to day to keep going on your business journey? Well, if you if you try to take on one of the greatest challenges uh, in this planet is to compete with desirability with car ownership, which is a great product, then of course there has to be some sort of a motivation that keeps you keeps you away from home. Uh, I get my best kicks out of actual people that we serve. Um, there's a couple of ones sort of highlights of my moment. I just had a look at it a couple of months ago. I got this uh, got this really nice email from a single mom in Helsinki who lives a bit outside the center, uh, but was about to be kind of forced to take a smaller apartment in, in downtown because the life was life was getting too hard, mm-hmm. and and she couldn't couldn't have a car. But when Wim came along, we made it convenient and easy and affordable for her to use all these different modes. She feels that now she's she's good, staying in that place she loves with a bit of a with a, a bit of a, a bigger flat and, mm-hmm. and some nature around it. And those it's those moments that really get you. Another one was when a journalist called me and said that he's been a, a petrol head all his life. He's a fifty plus man, but now now that Wim came along, they skipped the car. Because it somehow made made them feel that okay, uh, now someone's on my side, not just trying to push their their bus or their train or their right. taxi or something like that, but just figuring out the whole thing. And and it's those moments that really overwhelm you. Or or when you look at a city like Istanbul with all these traffic problems, and you think that okay, maybe just maybe I have a chance of being part of a movement that makes this city in ten, fifteen, twenty years look like something much better for people without them having to jeopardize on their personal freedom. And, and those, it's those things that really motivate me. Yeah. I think that's the the thing I said, business is tough, but it's, 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 it's about people, ultimately those within our businesses and and those that we serve that, uh, where you make the impact. And again, it's great to uh, have those brought to your attention from time to time because it can be tough out there. So listen, I I really appreciate your time, uh, Sampo, and and, and sharing some of your thoughts around the future of mobility and and clearly the uh, challenges of business and and fundraising and all. Um, So we look forward to seeing uh, the the, the future, both of the sector, but of course, of uh, the part that you and your company play in that. So thank you again for your time. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, Sampo. Uh, apologies, we've missed a few episodes recently. Uh, the podcast was always set up as a hobby, and it's something I love doing. Uh, but the Hyperion executive search businesses are growing rapidly, and I find myself traveling a lot more often and uh, and working with teams in different locations. I still aim to bring you weekly podcasts more often than not, and I appreciate your support and feedback.